Hi, my name is Mattia Murray, and welcome to The Longer Road. You are on The Longer Road if you have multiple intersectional identities that are often marginalized. You've had to work harder to get to the starting line, and you might feel behind. I'm here to provide hope, support, and practical tips, and to let you know that you're not alone. Welcome to my guest, Kai Northcott. They are a non-binary uh, coach for neurodivergent people like me. So obviously that's probably why they popped up on my TikTok, which is actually where I found them. And they had these great series of videos about rhythmic approaches to life, which is absolutely something I do myself as a neurodivergent person. And I thought that that would be a really, really useful topic just in general for my audience. And if there's anything else you would like to add about yourself that you think people might want to know, go for it. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for the invitation and the introduction. And yeah, I'm very excited to share a little bit about rhythmic approaches to life and what that means to me and hear a little bit more about what that means to you and how you've been approaching that in your own life. And yeah, just excited for the conversation. Awesome. And first, I always like to ask people, what are you passionate about right now? I think what I'm most passionate about in general is decolonizing time. Mm. Pretty much everything that we think about time is informed by capitalism, by colonization, by a system of power over the concept of dividing time into really small units and then trading those units for a certain amount of dollars. Um, that's very much a colonizer capitalist concept. Um, the idea, the way that we speak of time, that we can spend time, right? That, that time is, is a resource that we can spend or waste or invest. Uh, those are all colonizer concepts. Even the concept that time is linear and moves in a singular direction, that's also a colonizer concept. Even though my work touches on a lot of different things, to me, the heart of it is redefining our relationship with time. I'm obsessed with that. I love that. <laughs> yeah. And that, I hadn't seen you talk about that specifically, but that totally makes sense based on what I did see from you, that that's at the heart of your work. If you are interested in talking about this, I would be very curious to know how you got into that, kind of how you started moving toward this idea of decolonizing time or kind of realizing what was going on there. In a lot of ways, my journey started in 2009. Uh, prior to that, I had a very different life. I was born and raised just outside Atlanta. I went to school just outside Atlanta. I... After I graduated from college, I was working in Atlanta. I was working as an insurance agent. I was making six figures. I had a fiance. I lived in a three-story house. I drove a Mercedes. It was like this very certain kind of life, right? And I, living that life, I had achieved quote unquote success in all the ways that I had been told success was supposed to look. And I didn't feel it. I was just not, I didn't feel fulfilled. I didn't feel content. I didn't feel deeply happy. And so in 2009, I walked away from all of that and I traveled for six years 
I stayed here and there. I had a couple of home bases for like a month or two or three here and there amidst that. But for the most part, for six years, I traveled entirely. I lived on the road. I lived out of vehicles. For a while, I didn't have a vehicle and was just living out of my backpack. During that time, I got very involved in the the Earth Skills movement, uh, which is a movement that consists of several different gatherings that happen around the country where people teach traditional skills like blacksmithing, hide tanning, shelter building, as well as skills like conflict resolution, nonviolent communication, and different things like that. So essentially looking at what are the skills that we need as people to live with other people outside of a grid-supported system. Getting involved with that movement, and I say the movement is characterized by the gatherings. The gatherings are the easiest place to spot what's happening. But of course, the people who come to the gatherings, a lot of those people live in homesteads. They live in communities. So there's, the movement is much larger than the gatherings themselves. But the gatherings are kind of the focal point in a lot of ways, the public focal point. So getting involved with that movement then also led to me getting involved in the nature connection movement, which there's a lot of overlap between those movements, but they're not really the same thing, where the earth skills movement is very much focused on the skills and connection with nature might follow from that. The nature connection movement is focused on connection first. And if skills follow from that, that's fine, but that's not the focus. The focus is connection. So getting involved with the nature connection movement led to working with youth outdoors, working in nature connection, working in outdoor education. Through that movement, I was introduced to a lot of different indigenous people and indigenous teachings and introduced to the way that they conceive of time, talk about time, measure time, and noticed a stark contrast between the way indigenous people think about time and talk about time and the way that Western culture, mainstream capitalist culture talks about time and conceives of time. And noticing those differences led me down a rabbit hole of conversations and research. And eventually I was part of a two-year program. Well, not two years. It was intentionally not measured by years. It was a hundred weeks. Uh, so there was a hundred week program called the Time Zone Research Lab facilitated by my friend Nadia Cheney, where every week we, we had a Zoom call each week that lasted for about seven hours. People would hop on and off the call. The, the whole call lasted about seven hours and each week. There were a lot of different elements of the call, but a core element of it was diving into a reading. So each week we would have a reading that uh, the facilitator, Nadia Cheney, had chosen. And the idea was that we would kind of read that in advance and then come to the Zoom call to discuss it. And the readings were all around time. They were some by indigenous authors, some by philosophers from Europe a few hundred years ago, some modern people, some fictional works, some scientific works, research papers, just all kinds of different readings. And being with a group of people for a hundred weeks where we're talking about time consistently, 
talking about how we conceive of time and what time means and the quantum physics of time and general relativity, just so many different things, so many different aspects of time, being involved in that conversation with a group of people who, because the facilitator is queer, politically active, an unorthodox thinker, outside the box thinker, then they attracted those kinds of people to this program. And so talking with queer, neurodivergent, politically active people week after week about time and our relationship with time and how we conceive of time completely shifted how I conceive of time and how I think about time and how I talk about time, how I experience time. So while I was participating in that program, I also took a coaching program called Purpose Mastery from my coach, Brian Boucher. He works with his wife, Gabriella Boucher. And a big part of that program, Purpose Mastery, is defining what is your purpose. A lot of times that can sound like very theoretical and heady and like there's no way to answer that question with divinity. And they have a very systematic approach of a process you can go through with many steps that at the end of that process, you'll have a clear understanding of what your purpose is. And so going through this three-month coaching program in the middle of this 100-week program about time, everything became interrelated and overlapped. And at the end of that three-month program, I had clarity that my purpose on the planet in this lifetime is to decolonize time. And I don't often use that phrase in a really public-facing way because decolonization is very deep work that leads into a lot of doors, leads into a lot of places that I'm not fully ready to explore in a public forum. And using the term decolonization in connection with my work, especially as a white person who's getting paid to do this work, um, it's very tricky talking about colonization within an aspect where I, as a white person, am getting paid to do work. So I do, I deeply identify with that phrase of decolonizing time, and it does drive so much of what I think about and do on a daily basis. And I'm often hesitant to talk about it in a public forum. That totally makes sense. Yeah. And this is especially interesting to me because I have I have not talked about this on the podcast before, but my experience of and relationship to time have shifted quite a bit in the last few years in particular, but also as my own nervous system has healed significantly, I feel like I have a lot more access to different ideas and kind of letting different ideas float around and not have to choose, you know, what's true or not. I, I call this internal stimming myself. I like to kind of let different ideas smash together in my head and just sort of create interest and generativity for me. And one of those things has just been about this experience of time. And something that I think is really interesting that I would love to hear you talk more about is when you've grown up with really just one framework, like this is how time works. This is how we experience it. When you have experiences that are outside of that in any way, and you kind of start to look at time differently, I'd be really curious to hear if that has actually shifted your actual experience of time? And if so, how? I know that's kind of a big question. It is a big question and it's a great question. 
so definitely, you know, growing up with the monochronic culture, growing up with time is valuable, time is money, lateness is inconsiderate, uh, all that sort of thing. At some point, I realized that when I looked at my life and looked at the stressors in my life, 100% of the things that caused stress in my life were connected to a time expectation. That if I had something, if I had a task on my to-do list, it, that task being on my to-do list did not in and of itself create stress. When that task then was tied to a deadline, which is a very strong word, right? Deadline. That's like a very strong thing to say. So when we tie this task to a deadline, now suddenly I feel stressed about it. And I just saw over and over again how the only things in my life that were causing me stress, that's a really strong thing to say. I wouldn't necessarily say the only, there's always interpersonal stuff, there's relationship stuff. Um, the vast majority of things in my life that were causing me any kind of stress were connected to time. And so as I have been deconstructing my relationship with time, reconstructing a different relationship with time, intentionally experiencing the natural cycles of time, my experience of time has completely shifted. One of the defining characteristics of the way that mainstream culture considers time and conceives of time is that it is monodirectional and linear. One of the primary char characteristics of most indigenous conceptions of time is that time is cyclical. The sun rises every day. The sun sets every day. That's a cycle that we can count on. The summer solstice, the winter solstice, the equinoxes, these are cycles that we can count on. That time will come again next year and the year after that and the year after that. And while next year will be slightly different than this year, it will also be the same in many ways. And so I often think of these cycles as a kind of spiral. And it often makes me think of the image. If you've ever seen a 3D rendering of the Earth's orbit through space, we so often think of the sun being still and the Earth orbiting in a circle around it. Well, the sun is orbiting around the center of the Milky Way galaxy and the Milky Way galaxy is expanding and the universe is expanding. And so the actual quote unquote, orbit of the earth makes this spiral. And so we are returning to the same time every year. And we're also moving forward every year and learning to hold that duality at the same time of yes, it's different. And yes, it's the same. That's also been a big part of my journey over the last several years is learning to hold seemingly dichotomous ideas at the same time that time is moving forward and time is cyclical. So as I've been redefining my relationship with time and as I've been keying into the natural cycles of time more and more, I do find myself way less stressed about time. I find myself in the flow more, feeling like things are happening in the right moment, even if it's not the pre-planned moment. 
And a big part of that journey for me and a big part of the work that I'm doing now with helping other people connect with the rhythms and the cycles of their day, of their week, of their work session, a lot of that for me came through lived experience of for six years of traveling. During that traveling, I was not like, I wasn't staying in hotels and condos. I was sleeping in vehicles. I was sleeping under the stars. I was sleeping in tents. I was sleeping under tarps for an entire summer. All I had was my backpack and my tarp that was in the backpack. So essentially living outside, I became so much more connected with the natural cycle of the day and the energy of the day and how the day has a flow to it that sunset feels really different than sunrise. And if I allow myself to immerse in the natural world, then I find myself waking up near sunrise. I find myself feeling really tired as soon as the sun goes down and connecting with those natural cycles, not only of each day, but also of the seasons and the years. And so connecting with that larger concept of time, I now feel like clock time is a thin veneer over the deep, deep experience of how time actually functions. Amazing. I'm like processing. A few things I jotted down as you were talking, Mm -hmm. and I'd be happy for you to go in any of these directions, natural cycles of time. I really, the feeling like it's happening in the right moment is something that I feel like comes up with my clients quite a bit, especially for example, late diagnosed ADHD. People have been having this experience for a long time that they're not spending their time correctly or, you know, prioritizing correctly. That's something I hear a lot is that people feel like they're never doing the right thing. Uh, so I think that's a really, that's an amazing thing to be able to experience that you are in the right moment. And then just this idea of flow and how the flow of the day and the way that it interacts with our physiological systems does not really align with modern society. And when I have say, gotten up around sunrise and gone to bed not too long after sunset. Most people I know don't do that. So then I don't do the same social things when I live like that. So I think there's, those are all very interesting things to me. They're all related. If that sparked anything for you. Yeah, absolutely. Sparks a lot of stuff. Can you, can you name the first one again? The natural cycles of time. Yeah, so I think I want to start there in exploring the natural cycle of time a little bit and then talking about how that connects to our personal experience of time and like you mentioned, how sometimes that can actually disconnect us from the people around us. Mm -hmm. The natural cycles of time, again, especially by sleeping outside, waking up outside, having zero external input as to expectations of when I would be at a particular place or when I would do a particular thing. Weeks and months would go by when I would lose track of what day of the week it was, what what month it was, like really like very intent. And that wasn't by accident. I very intentionally wasn't looking at clocks, wasn't looking at phones. I was 
intentionally immersing myself in the natural world without the external overlay of calendars, clocks, other people's expectations. And by disconnecting from society's definitions of time and society's relationship with time and immersing myself in the natural world, I naturally found myself aligning with the natural rhythm of the day, the month, the, the season, not really the month, the month is a human construct. Actually, it's interesting though, because the word month is connected to the word moon, which is where this concept came from that approximately 30 days is a lunar cycle. And so a month is intended to approximate a lunar cycle. Um, but of course now some months have 28 days and some have 31 and there's no real rhyme or reason to it. You know, there's historical reasons, but it's not logical. It's not connected to the natural world in any kind of way. Right. So during this time when I was really immersing myself in the natural world, I found myself so much more influenced when I removed the influences of calendars and clocks, then I opened myself to the influence of the cycles of the sun, the cycles of the moon, the cycles of seasons. And so I found myself naturally waking up around sunrise and feeling really tired after sunset. I found myself with less energy around the new moon and more energy around the full moon. I found myself in the winter wanting to retreat and find solace and not quite hibernate, but not do nearly as much. Whereas in the summer, suddenly I had so much energy and wanted to go so many places and do so many things. When I think about the natural cycles of time, I think about what is actually happening in the natural world. And that's two components. I, I conceive of it as two components. There's, I'm sure there's a lot more, but I conceive of it as what's happening with the celestial bodies, what's happening with the planet, what's happening with the sun, what's happening with the moon and how all of those things interact. And then there is how the plants and animals respond to those things. And by opening myself to the influences of both of those things, well, I'll, I'll phrase it this way, by opening myself to the influences of what's happening with the celestial bodies, then I found myself naturally wanting to do the same sorts of things that the animals are doing. Being more active in the springtime, being more excited about love and sexuality in the springtime, wanting to stay up all night on the full moon, wanting to take a nap in the mid-afternoon. You know, the, the deer, the birds, the so many wild animals rest in the afternoon. And when we look at cultures that are more connected with an earth-based, place-based way of life, then a lot of them have that time built in. Siesta time is the one that we're most familiar with, but in a lot of different, more place-based cultures, there is that time of rest in the afternoon. By opening myself to the influences of what's actually happening in the physical world, I found myself doing the same sorts of things. I found my body responding to those influences in the same ways that the animal's bodies respond to that. Because we are, after all, animal creatures on a natural planet living a life 
that is very, very different than the environment in which our bodies and brains evolved and developed to be in harmony and synchronized with the natural world. And I really believe that so much of the difficulty that we experience around modern life is, well, I'll even say it this way. I really believe that so much of the difficulty that we experience as quote unquote, the human condition and so much of the self-doubt, depression, anxiety, a lot of other things that we experience are a direct result of modern society and specifically a direct result of how they have disconnected us from what our bodies naturally want to do. Yeah, that is very much my experience as well, <laughs> both personally and just in the work that I do. Yeah. And I would love to use that then to segue. There are obviously a ton of different things people can do to reconnect with nature, with natural cycles, with our bodies, with what our bodies are actually asking for. And a lot of those are in pretty direct opposition to living and caring for oneself and one's family in our current capitalist society. So I'd be very curious to hear kind of how you conceive of starting this process, if this is a new process for someone. Yeah, great question. And this actually ties into something we were talking a little bit about earlier is how reconnecting with our own bodies and our own rhythms and our own flows can sometimes disconnect us from the people around us if they are still embedded in the societal experience of time. So I think one of the first things to say about any of this is to recognize that the experience that I had of traveling for six years and living outside for most of that is pretty far, pretty near one extreme end of the spectrum. Yeah. And I find for myself... I find this to be true for myself and people I talk to, and I think it's true for society at large, that very often if we find ourselves, if we find ourselves out of balance in some way, we might think of that as too far on one end of the spectrum. And very often I find that before we can come to the center and find something close to balance, that it can be really supportive to experience the far other end of that spectrum. And so when I think about those six years of traveling and immersing myself in the natural cycles, I recognize that that's one end of the spectrum and that now I'm at more of a place of balance of being connected with the natural cycles, staying connected with those, feeling the influence of those, and also scheduling things knowing what day of the week it is. I always know what the date is and what time. I don't always know what time it is, but there are dozens of things that happen throughout my week that are timed. And so at this point in my life, I'm finding the balance between staying connected with those rhythms and staying connected with what my body wants and what my body needs and also being connected with 
how society functions and how appointments work and how clock time functions in society. So the reason that I say all of that is to say that if you're listening to this and thinking, well, I don't want to travel for that long. I don't want to sleep outside. No one's asking you to. No one is, no one is suggesting that that is the path forward. That was my personal experience that led me to some of these insights and, and some of the current understandings that I have that then can be applied in a lot of different situations, even situations where we have a 40 hour a week job that requires us to wake up with an alarm clock before the sun comes up. And so when I think about how to apply some of these principles while still connecting with society and the societal experience of time, I think something that's really important to remember is that every tiny baby step of progress matters, that there's not a binary of societal time and natural rhythmic time, and that we have to choose between these, that we can make very small incremental movements towards natural time, rhythmic time, body-based time, and that introducing these small practices, these small steps can have a huge impact on how we experience our bodies, how we experience our jobs, how we experience stress. When I think about some of those first small steps to take, one thing that I think about a lot, a metaphor that I think about a lot is in-breath and out-breath, where, so I conceive of the day as coming in eight phases, and the fourth phase of the day is where most people use the plurality of their time, not the majority of their time, but their plurality. The phase four is the mission of the day. It's the, the work session, the childcare, the running errands, the job, whatever it is that takes up that big, energetic, physical, emotional, uh, psychological, mental output of the day, that's phase four. Phase two is inspiration, waking up our bodies. Phase six is connecting with other people. Phase eight is rest and sleep. And so I think of those even numbered phases, two, four, six, and eight, as the outbreath. That's the push. That's the where we're actively doing something. And when I think about something like this, like a conversation like this, right? Like I can take a deep breath in. <gasps> And then I can talk. And if I talk and talk and talk, I could probably talk for 45 or 60 seconds without taking another breath. But if I, and then when I go to take a, another in-breath, that, that other in-breath can be very short. It can be half a second, one second. But that quick in-breath enables me to then continue with a much longer out-breath. And so in the same way, that... The reason that I say all of this now is to use that as a metaphor to say that when we think about introducing the other phases of our day, where phase one is waking up our mind, phase three is getting ready for our day, phase five is recovering from the work session, phase seven is 
winding down and getting ready for rest. Those phases of the day might be much, much shorter than the other phases of the day. While the phase four of the day might be eight or 10, for some people, 12 hours long, taking five minutes, 15 minutes after that to recenter, reground, come back to peace in our bodies, rest our eyes, rest our minds. Even if that rest period is very short compared to the output that comes just before it, it continues to amaze me how much just a few minutes of intentional rest at that time prepares us for the next phase, connecting with other people, you know, having dinner with my family, taking care of the kids in the evening, whatever that looks like. And so often when we ignore that phase five, we, when we attempt to move directly from the output of work directly into the output of social activity, we find the social activity draining, or we, we find ourselves trying to artificially create that sense of relaxation through having a drink, having a smoke. So there's a very long way to come back around to, I think the, some of the first most basic steps that we can take to reconnecting with the, with rhythm based time and with the needs of our bodies is to in between each of these big outputs of the day to find and to make space to rest and even one minute of deep breathing two minutes of closing our eyes can have such a huge impact on how draining the thing before was and how much energy we have for the thing after. Totally. I also am a big lover of mini naps, which is basically what you're saying. Just, you know, closing your eyes for a couple minutes. I know I'm not going to fall asleep, but I will still close my eyes and get into a really relaxed position and just let my body rest. And it's amazing how even a few minutes of that can actually feel like a 15 minute nap if I just intend to rest. And I've said it before and I'll say it again, when you actually intend to rest and let yourself enjoy the rest and don't feel guilty about it, it's so much more impactful on your body versus when you almost feel like you're being forced to rest by your body because it's refusing to cooperate and then you're fighting that. That's a very, very different experience. And I think that that kind of ties back to that idea that, you know, when you were saying that a lot of your stressors were attached to a time expectation, I think that can come up with the idea of rest for a lot of people as well. Yes. I find that very often when I talk about resting more, when I talk about relaxing more, People say, I wish I had time for that. I have too much to do in my day. There's no way that I can have time to rest. Yeah. Over and over again in my client work, I see with so many different people that when we prioritize self-care and we prioritize relationship, then our thoughts are clearer. Our decision-making ability is clearer. Our ability to accomplish tasks is greater. And so we get our work done faster. We get our things done around the house faster. All of these things that are taking up all of our time take less time to do. So by prioritizing self-care, by prioritizing relationship, we actually make more space for those things. 
so many times people feel like, and I think this is a teaching from society that society teaches us that we have to accomplish a certain amount of work in order to earn self-care. Yes. We have to do a certain amount of stuff before we're allowed to have relationships. And I find that by flipping that script, by prioritizing the self-care, by prioritizing the relationships, we bring such a better version of ourselves to every day that then we do have more time. We do have more spaciousness. And we're not using so much energy with that fight is just the word that keeps coming to mind, like fighting this. It's actually, I'm really enjoying thinking about this way of thinking about time and how I actually think that's a lot of what that internal stressor feels like is this fight against this conception of time as as the one that we've learned the one that's very you know linear and broken down into tiny chunks and time is money and all of that that's i think very counter the way that the actual brain and body work and if you have a lot of awareness of or metacognition of what your system is doing and you're like oh this does not feel good i know i don't like this but it doesn't look like there's an alternative if you just look around these assumptions are so core to the way that we live that I don't really see people questioning them for the most part. It's usually just, can you fit in more stuff? Mm-hmm. Or on the other hand, can you make enough money so that you can have time to rest? Yeah, I think that's very true. You know, like I was saying earlier, I think a lot of the stressors that we experience and a lot of the discomfort that we experience comes from the difference between what our bodies. I won't say design, what our bodies developed to do, how our bodies grew and developed in the natural world and what they are optimized to do, the difference between that and what is currently asked of us and asked of our brains and bodies. And like you said, there's, it's very difficult to perceive an alternative. And without seeing an alternative to the way things are, it's really difficult to conceive that the way that things are is what's causing the difficulty because that just feels very defeatist of like, oh, well, this is the only way that things could be. And the way that things are is harming me. So where does that leave us? And so instead, if we can say the way that things are is harming me, and things could be different. I can create a different reality. And I think it's really important to emphasize that we can create and live into this different reality while still engaging with clock time, making our appointments, keeping our meeting times with other people. The difference for me is that while I do engage with clock time, I make appointments with people on the regular, I keep those appointments that I understand with every cell of my being that that is an agreement that I'm making with that person that is not based in actual reality. The idea of a universal clock, the idea of time zones, the idea of everyone in the time zones, clocks being set to the same time, All of that emerged very recently. It was mid 19th century when railroads became more common and trains were running into each other on the tracks because 
they had a different understanding of what time it was when these two different trains left the track in two different entire, entirely different cities. And then they end up colliding because of a different understanding of time. And then people are like, oh, well, we need to make agreements. We need to all agree on a specific time and we'll all set our clocks to that same time. Now, when I remember that that's the context and I remember like, hey, hey, everybody, let's just make this agreement real quick that doesn't have anything to do with reality. Let's just agree that it's a specific time and then we can all agree on how to coordinate our times together. When I conceive of it that way, it allows me to perceive the reality of the situation that that's just a thin veneer over the much deeper reality of cosmic time, cyclical time, natural rhythms, all those sorts of things. And so I'm continually having the experience of natural time, rhythmic time, and also making agreements with people to honor this fictional time system so that we can coordinate and have a conversation at a particular moment. So I do want to start wrapping up and my last question, which is, it's kind of a combo question. One, what advice would you give to a younger version of yourself? And you can pick any time, any age, which is also kind of, you know, what do you want to leave the audience with listeners with maybe any additional advice you don't think you've given yet? So before we get there, I feel like there was another thread that we both left hanging a little bit where both of us kind of referenced this idea that when we start connecting with natural time, that it can disconnect us from the people around us. Oh, yeah. So I want, I want to touch on that just a little bit. So like you said earlier, I have also had the experience of when I'm really connecting deeply with my own rhythms, with the natural rhythms, that that's such, a, such an anomaly with how most people in society function that I'm often not available for social functions. If the party starts at 10 p.m., I will not be there. I will be in bed by the time that party gets rolling. It reminds me of something that I've seen in social media recently where people talk about, oh, when I start on my healing journey, suddenly I find myself disinterested in everything. And when they say everything, what they mean is pop culture. Mm. The movies, the music, the television, they conceive of that as quote unquote everything because it's their whole experience up to that point. But once we disengage from pop culture, turns out there's a lot of other things happening in the world besides pop culture. There are other people, there are outdoor adventures, there are books, there are conversations, there are things that we can create. There's lots of different things that we can do with our time besides consuming pop culture. And so in the same way, Yes, when I find myself really immersed in my own natural rhythms, then I'm not as available for DJ shows and late night parties and all these other things that I used to do, but I'm more available for outdoor adventures. I'm more available for connecting with other people who are on the same wavelength. And I think that's really important to remember that so often when we make a change in ourselves that disconnects us from the people that we've been connected with up to that point, it often feels like we're, we are so alone and that no one else is having the experience that we're having and that no one else could possibly connect with us in the new place that we are. 
And the reality is that there are probably millions of other people out there who have also disconnected from the people that they've been connected with up to that point, who are also having that experience of feeling alone and disconnected and wanting other people to connect with. I think one really accessible example of this is someone who grows up in a rural town, doesn't know any queer people in their town, that being gay or being queer is something that everybody makes fun of. And then that person realizes that they're queer, they're gay, they're trans, whatever their experience is. And they suddenly feel alone, outcast, disconnected, and they feel like there's no one else in the world who's like them. And the truth is there's tens of millions, hundreds of millions, billions of people in the world who are having a a similar experience of feeling disconnected from the people around them. And they're looking for other people like them. And so I think it's important in this context to remember that if we start to reconnect with our rhythms and we find that disconnecting us from the people around us, to remember that there are a lot of other people out there who are also tuning into the rhythms of their bodies and those people need friends too. Yes, such an important reminder. And again, very much my experience, you know, that there were, I also don't do late parties and, uh, you know, there are some people that I ended up not hanging out with because of that. And I've also made other cool nerd friends <laughs> instead. Mm -hmm. Yay. Yeah. I've never in my life have I been more lonely than when I quit using hard drugs mm. because all of my friends used hard drugs and I felt very alone. And then turns out most people don't use hard drugs. There are a lot of people in the world who have amazing social events without hard drugs. And I just needed to connect with those people instead. Yes, that's a great analogy. So any parting advice? And if you do want to give any advice to your younger self, I love that question as well. I think I would tell my younger self to speak less and listen more and listen not just to other people, but to the plants and the animals and the natural world. And to really open your senses to everything that is actually happening around us. For those listening, you know, both in my in my social media presence, and especially in my coaching practice, I'm very hesitant to give advice because while something might be generally true and helpful for most people, that same piece of advice might be really harmful for a particular person in a particular circumstance. So I'm really hesitant to give um, broadly applicable advice. I think maybe one of the few things that I could say that I think is usually that is almost always applicable to most people in most situations is listen to your body. Definitely. And I guess the uh, when that isn't working is when you're listening to your body and it feels overwhelming. You can just step right out. That's that thing. You can just dip your toe in a little bit at a time as you're getting used to getting those messages from your body. Absolutely. Yeah, I think that's a really good point that very often when we, if we're used to not listening to our bodies and we start to listen to our bodies, that it can be really overwhelming. There might be a lot of sensations in our body 
that, yeah, can feel really overwhelming and disruptive and disconcerting and that engaging with what our body is saying uh, can be a, a long, slow process. And like you said, just dipping our toes in and getting a small taste of what our body is feeling and what our body is saying. And if that does feel overwhelming, we can go back to the baseline that we were at before and uh, find support for processing all the information that's coming in through our bodies. Thank you so much. This has been such a fun conversation and I feel like we could easily talk for another hour. Where can people find you to connect? So on social media, you can find me on TikTok, Instagram, and YouTube as Chi8Seasons. That's Chi, the number eight seasons. And you can also check out my website, which is 8seasons.consulting. That's the number 8seasons.consulting. Awesome. And we will put all of those links in the show notes as well, so people can easily click through and find you. And I am very excited to continue following you and hear more of your work. Thank you so much for your time. Yeah, thank you so much for the interview. I uh, really enjoyed the conversation today and I look forward to staying in touch. Awesome. Thanks so much. Thanks for listening. If you know someone who would be helped by this podcast, please share it with them. And I'd love to hear your thoughts and suggestions at Mattia at MattiaMaray.com. That's M-A-T-T-I-A at M-A-T-T-I-A-M-A-U-R-E-E dot com. Thank you.